Hi, everyone. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode 97 of The Redo. Uh, Anthony and I recorded last Monday night uh, when all the big news uh, fell down uh, from the weekend where the, we lost Kobe Bryant and when Bo Pelini left Youngstown State. And we had a really good podcast recorded, except my uh, recorder malfunctioned, and uh, it just was unairable. So we never had a chance to release that one. And then I came down with a nice illness, and uh been a while since I've really had a chance to talk to Anthony. I know our skills didn't match up, but here it is, uh, middle of the week, February 5th, and uh, we're recording. So this is kind of our redo. How are you doing, my friend? Not bad at all. It's nice to get back on the air. I hope you start feeling better. I know that stuff's going around. I bowed it a couple of weeks ago, and it's not fun at all. It kicks your butt. And, uh, but hopefully you're starting to get on the mend here. It seems, Tim, that we have some news to talk about. Everything uh, last week, like you mentioned, all came down at once with uh, the unfortunate passing of Kobe Bryant. YSU football coach Bo Pliny decided to do the smart thing, obviously, and uh, leave for LSU the – the money there just too much to pass up and a chance to go home, basically, for Bo, where he got his Division One roots, basically. As the sports world continues to honor um, uh, Kobe Bryant and the eight other victims in the just terrible tragedy of the helicopter crash, uh, I think from baseball to basketball to uh, football, obviously, um, to the entertainment world, I think everybody has done a great job honoring um, Kobe Bryant and what he meant, not just to the game of basketball and sports, but, you know, just the overall mindset of how to be a better father, how to be proud that you have uh, your father of three or four girls, you know, how to be a good husband and battle back from adversity, you know, just the mindset of, you know, no dream is ever too small. You know, I, uh, those are the, those are the things I'll take away from Kobe Bryant. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, Sam. And yeah, like I said, I mean, it's going to be back on the air. I know many have already talked about it, and mm-hmm. you know, I think you recapped it pretty well there about uh, Kobe Bryant and uh, the tragedy that happened and all those who uh, perished in the uh, helicopter crash. Uh, I will say this, where he was a trailblazer versus, um, well, in the new era of sports, mm-hmm. I would say, is he was really the first true high school to NBA star. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person we've seen grow up in that life as a young man. Uh, 18 is a very young age, as we all mm-hmm. remember. And to be under a microscope like he was in the city of Los Angeles, playing for the Lakers, um, you know, your sins are, are there for everyone to see. And, you know, you, you mature as we all hope to do as we get older. And he made better decisions to get on in life. And his basketball prowess was just, it was a new level that was not seen before. Uh, obviously, the championships with, uh, with Shaq and the gang back in the uh, early 2000s, something that people will always remember. And then after Shaq left, as he was able to get him back to the the pinnacle of the NBA again, and uh, really cement his uh, career. I think that will what people will remember most. And I mentioned it in our 
podcast that didn't get recorded is mm-hmm. uh, what I always remember for is yeah I believe it was the 2008 Olympics and how he yes. led that team back to gold for the first time and I think that was a really important um, part of uh, his story and you know his legacy as a basketball player and like I said like you mentioned uh, as a person I think we've seen a person for the first time grow from a high school player up into a NBA player and as a young man to, you know, a, a veteran and a, a leader of a team. And, you know, his uh, his passing will be felt for many years. People will always uh, treasure their memories of watching him play uh, basketball. There's no question about it. Yeah, the one, uh, you brought up a great point, Tim. The one thing, um, you know, because I'm not a big NBA guy. I think I mentioned that before. Uh I'll watch it, but I don't have a favorite team, and I won't sit down. And you know, I just prefer uh, the high school and college games. And um, but the thing I that will stand out to me is when Kobe Bryant just took over the 2008 gold medal against Spain, um, where he was truly the uh, the gray hair member of that team, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, uh, guys that were established. But Kobe was um, everybody, the guy. It was Kobe's everyone team. Everyone to. Yes, it was Kobe's team. And when uh, Team USA needed a bucket, needed a stop, uh, Kobe was the one uh, to lead them. And that was, uh, if you want to watch, and Tim, I watched it a couple nights ago after you and I recorded on Monday night. If you want to see the true Mamba mentality that he speaks about and the people talk about, that was it. Uh, you and I have touched on that a couple of times off the air. Uh, that 10-minute spurt there of game time in the second half, Kobe just took over. I mean, anything you needed, Kobe did. Uh, and it was absolutely incredible to watch. I remember watching that. Um, so, uh, you know, he absolutely took over. And I think what people, um, I don't want to say fail to remember, because I know you and I have mentioned this also, not only was Kobe Bryant the trailblazer for um, coming out of high school or yeah, coming out of high school straight to the NBA, but he's really been the trailblazer um, of promoting and growing women's sports. And you and I have touched on this for full podcast. Um, the growth in sports is going to be in women's sports. And uh, Kobe Bryant has started that um, you know, growing the game of women's basketball and just growing overall women's sport in general. Um, I think um, that that needs to be mentioned also, how much he truly cared for and wanted to see women's sports succeed um, and develop. Right. And, you know, there's no question that that's going to be something that people will remember, especially under the circumstances where he perished with his daughter going to a the AAU game, and um, that was, uh, you know, for uh, women's athletics or, or or girls' athletics, you want to say. But, yeah, there's no question that he was a person who, uh, you know, obviously you change his life. You, you deal with the situation you're in. He had daughters. So thus, yeah. um, those who were going to get into athletics, he was going to support, and, and just like any family man would. And, uh, there's no question about it. his uh, his desire to see uh, 
the growth of the women's basketball game was was important to him because it was something that his daughter uh, Gianna loved, and and uh, obviously something they shared together. And there's no question about that. Speaking of women's athletics, let me uh, jump in real quick with this note that the WAFL, or excuse me, the AFLW, let me say it properly, uh, kicks off this Friday night or this Friday morning uh, at 3.45 a.m. here in, 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 the Amer- uh, in the United States. And then, uh, then Friday night uh, they have a game about 9.30 p.m. our time, so. Uh, that is, of course, uh, Australian Rules Football, and we'll be talking more about that. At least I will be. As, uh, that season gets underway here in just uh, a few hours, really, when you get down to a couple yeah. days. And uh, it, it will be here very quickly. And it's a great game. Like I said, I'm not going to bore everybody with my my uh, knowledge of it or anything like that because it's, it's slim. But we're going to bring on, uh, hopefully, Gemma. Bastiani again, and uh, we're still trying to reach out to uh, Kate Halloran and others, uh, part of Siren uh, Collective, which is about women's sports, as you mentioned earlier, and uh, that's mainly an Australian thing. However, they do talk about it across the uh, the world and uh, the impacts of, of what's going on, like in the WNBA or uh, the United States soccer team and, and other uh, scenario. So hopefully we're going to try to get them both on, if not together, separately, and, and learn more about that. Because it really is a, uh, like I've said before, the expansion of sports, uh, in my opinion, is through uh, women's sports, and it's going to be women's team sports. That's where you're going to see the expansion. I don't, as much as people are getting excited to a certain degree for the XFL that's coming up here uh, this week, I have no desire to watch it. No, I don't I know. Down. Well, here's the thing. We already know it's my league football. And we already know that the players that they're bringing in are not stars. Now, not that some of them don't need to prove themselves and will take this opportunity to prove themselves to the NFL. We just know the level of play is not going to be at that highest level. And they're not competing to bring in young players of that level or competing to bring in veterans uh, to compete at, in this league. And that's the difference between the previous leagues, going back to the USFL and the WFL and, and well, way back to the AFL when it came about challenging the NFL. Uh, they were competing for the same players. This is not the case. And quite honest with you, if you want to watch stuff like that, I highly recommend uh, go see a GDFL game this spring mm-hmm. uh, up in Cleveland and in Erie and other uh, spots regionally and, and support these guys who want to play football uh, still as they uh, age out of the uh, the high school and then go to college and still want to play or after college want to play uh, football. And some of them actually have played professionally too. So that's just my two cents worth uh, about the XFL. I have nothing against it. I Hopefully it will succeed because there's a market out there for more football, believe it or not. There always will be. I just honestly don't think people are going to get that excited about football that is minor league football that does not have players that everyone knows. Yeah, I agree with you, Tim. I don't – honestly, I don't really have a big interest in um, watching the XFL. I do think this has a better chance of succeeding 
um, than the AAF or whatever that was called last year that folded. Um, kind of like the idea of it being a minor league football. Like you said, there's always room for more football. That's what this country, you know, loves and craves more football. Um, look, would it be cool to see um, a minor league football system, you know, come about like to a smaller version of uh, the major leagues? Yeah, maybe. Um, but, yeah. Uh, like you said, Tim, I don't have any desire to um, go to watch it. Well, I will say this. If it was a minor league that was associated with the NFL, yes, that was developing players, kind of like the NFL Europe was years ago and uh, other scenarios that were kind of developed at that same time, mm-hmm. maybe. But just the history of all these leagues, including the one the NFL backed in the NFL Europe and and yep. uh, I forget what the initial one was called. It was, uh, but needless to say, it, mm-hmm. we had teams both in America and Europe at the time. It just it doesn't work. Uh, people are not interested in, on a national level, on players that you just don't know. I'm not saying yep. you can't develop players. I'm not saying it's not work, you know these players don't deserve an opportunity to be seen and evaluate and have an opportunity to make the NFL, obviously that's a great thing for any player. And on that level, you, you're excited about it. But as a fan, I'm just, I'm very pessimistic about it. And I wish them the best. I just I'm not going to, you know, go out of my way to watch that. Um, yeah, I won't. Yeah, I won't carve out time in my day to watch it. That's Well, you know, like I said, you know, I have age on you, and, I remember the USFL and the three years that it was around. It was exciting football. Some of it was bad football. A lot of it was bad football. Mm-hmm. But what they did was uniquely different. It competed for the star players that were coming out of college and for the veteran players who were, you know, looking for a big payday at the end of yeah. their career. And there was enough of a of a market to pull that off. The the league grew too fast, you know, and there was many problems with that league, and they did have a foundation to start with, and they, they abandoned it quickly trying to get a, uh, you know, a big haul through the courts. It just didn't work, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that another day, really. Who needs to rehash that? Go watch the documentaries on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, but my point is with the XFL is I, we've seen the XFL before. Yeah, this is not the same version of that, but the the play is not going to change. No, and that's that's bottom line is you want to be entertained. I don't care. You can go to a minor league baseball game, and because of the level that they're playing at, and the players that you're developing, and the potential stars that you're watching, you have a desire to see it. You're not yes. going to see that here in the XFL. So, uh, you know, again, I I don't hate the F- XFL. I just have no desire to uh, to really watch that, and uh, we'll see. I could be wrong, and, and if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. But I just honestly, I, I think this will be a one year and done type thing, just like the last time. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't, uh, I don't uh, foresee a long term um, stint for the XFL. I think it'll be better than the last version of the XFL. Uh, I think it could go past a year, um, but I don't. I don't see it lasting. And like you said, if I'm 
if we're wrong, we'll admit it. But hey, um, uh, I just don't see the XFL lasting um, for a while. No, neither do I. Uh, here's one of the, like we mentioned earlier, speaking of football. Yes. Uh, Bo Pelini, of course, uh, mm-hmm. last week announced he was leaving Youngstown State to take the defensive coordinator job at LSU. Yeah. The job is now uh, officially open, and they uh, have come to uh, announce three finalists. And why don't you take a moment and talk about yeah. those three? Yeah, Tim, it's uh you know, it's kind of odd to be talking about a uh, coaching search here in February, but um, like we talked about and everybody knew, when the opportunity arose and LSU uh, came to Bowl Plenty with a $2 million contract, <laughs> there was no ands if fuss about it. you got to go. you got to make that jump. Um, so um, that opened up the door for Ron Solo and those uh, powers that be at the university to um, can a search again. And I think a lot of people at first, Tim, were of the thought of, well, it's probably just going to be Carl uh, Pliny uh, because of the, the um, time period and the time frame in which the search would be conducted. February is not an ideal time to be doing a coaching search. Um, but... Tim, like you mentioned, there are three finalists being reported by WKBN's Football Scoop and other various outlets. Um, uh, those names include former YSU offensive coordinator, Miami of Ohio head coach, and current James Madison coordinator, Shane Montgomery. Um, Shane's uh, offense here at YSU was for the most part successful. I know, I know a couple of people that weren't very thrilled with it, but uh, when – you know, uh, the offense is scoring points, and uh, he's one of the reasons why YSU made the run in 16. Uh, another name that uh, not a lot of people talked about, Tim, and I, and I know uh, you and I did not talk about this name, is uh, Don Treadwell, former YSU assistant coach in the 80s into the 90s, um, current Michigan State uh, defensive backs coach. Spartans have had a really nice run of uh, defensive backs up in East Lansing. And now at the time frame of uh, Mark D'Antonio stepping aside, uh, you know, Treadwell has ties to the university, ties to Trestle, ties to the state of Ohio. And then another name that's being reported is uh, Tim Hero, <laughs> Akron Hoban head coach, uh, former coach of St. Thomas Aquinas and a school in Florida. Tiro uh, played at Ursuline, went on to play at YSU and then coach at YSU and won championships at YSU. And I think, um, Tim, from what Football Scoop is saying, and uh, Mark Munch Bishop, who um, we have um, had the pleasure of talking to, um, that it is Tim Bill's job if he wants it. Now, there's nothing officially being announced by the university yet, so it's all speculation. Um, but, Tim, I will say this. If it is, in fact, Tim Tyrrell who does get the job at YSU, I will salute uh, Ron Shulo and Jim Trestle for this move. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, we're right back, right back to the Youngstown Boys stuff. We always got to go with the Youngstown Boys. And look, yeah, Jim Trestle and Ron Shulo are going to go with guys that they're comfortable with. Most athletic directors and those doing a search will do that. They'll go to guys they're comfortable with, especially late in the time period where you do a coaching search. Um, 
you know, but let me say this. For two guys, and this is not a criticism. I don't want, I don't want this to be um, viewed as a criticism uh, because everybody that knows me knows my thoughts on Trussell. And I have a lot of respect for Ron Solo. I think he's done a hell of a job at YSU. This is an outside-the-box hire or potential hire um, for two guys that are kind of conservative. I don't think that's um, outlandish to say um, about those two. I think it's an outside-the-box hire. It would re-energize the program and... Tim Thiel has strong ties to Northeast Ohio. He has ties down in Florida. Um, he knows what it takes um, to win. And at the end of the day, I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, high school coach. We're going to get a high school coach, a coach in Missouri Valley Conference, a toughest conference of football. Tim, you've been covering football for longer than I've been alive. You know this for a fact. Good coaches can coach anywhere. And I just think it's uh, wait and see. I do think um, from what the university is saying that uh, they do want to have a coach in place by the end of the week, early next week. Um, I think any of those choices would be good. Um, if I were to have a favorite, I would uh, say Tim Tyrrell. Um, from, uh, uh, from the resume he has um, and just the different hire it would be. It would be uh, something that uh, we have not seen or done before, Tim. And I, and I like that. I, I like that well, let me, something let me, new. Let me jump in here for a moment. Yes. And yeah, Tim Tyrrell has proven his ability to coach in, at all levels. He coached mm-hmm. as a uh, an assistant coach at college, yes. even at Youngstown State. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you mentioned, went to Florida as a high school coach, was successful there came back here to Northeast Ohio and has been successful and has had a, uh, a very, very stellar career as a coach. Is it a big jump from Akron Hoban to Yuxta State? Yes. Yes. Is it a jump that can be made by certain pl- people? Yes. Yeah. Not all coaches are able to make that type of jump and be successful. Now, one thing we can say about Tim Tyrrell and we mentioned this last season when we covered them mm-hmm. against Cardinal Mooney. And yes. his coaching staff is like a college coaching staff. Yes. It has much experience and has had uh, players who have played at uh, many different levels and understand the game of football. So I think if he comes into Youngstown State as the head coach, uh, the coaching staff itself that he's inheriting, you know, yes, will he make changes? Obviously, all yeah. coaches do, but I do believe majority of them will be here this season, mm-hmm. and they'll move forward from there because of the time period, especially when you have spring ball about a month away. So yes. we'll just wait and see, uh, you know, exactly how it turns out. I do believe he, if there's one high school coach that fits the bill to make this type of jump is Tim Curran. Yes. That's about yes, it. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, I think it's a really short list. Basically, it's a one-name list. Yep. Now, of the three names on the list, I'm not shocked by any of them. I'm not um, Because they all do have the same thread. It's Jim Trestle. Even yep. Shane Montgomery, who was yep. here when Jim Trestle was president and that. So, mm-hmm. it makes sense. I mean, I, he knows what he's done. He's, you know, 
obviously, uh, this to me has a lot of his imprints. But obviously, it's a very important choice for the university because it is their money maker in the athletics, and it is their showcase sport. Yes, the basketball program, you know, hopefully will have that opportunity to continue to grow. Mm-hmm and become that second sport that everyone talks about where we have one and two, you know, competing for conference championships in the future. But right now, and it has been for the last 40 years, it's been the football program first. And this hire here is just too important. You know, we were very fortunate to get Bo Pelini fall into our lap when he did. Yes. It was perfect timing and scenario. Sometimes, like, like I've said many times in life, Timing is a, has a lot to do with success and opportunity. And when it lines up and you take that chance, you usually succeed. And, uh, you know, I think the last two years, everyone wanted more wins. I think the coaching staff and players wanted more wins. Just sometimes things don't work out. And when Bo decided to move back to uh, the Division One level as a defensive coach, I think he did it with two things in mind. A, the challenge of it, and B, mm-hmm. he wanted also to have that opportunity to get back to the Division One coaching and become a head coach again somewhere else down the line. And within two, three seasons, that could happen. It could even happen next year after, yeah, you know, can... after a successful year with with LSU. I completely so, agree with that, Tim. Um it... And here's a thing that strikes me and kind of intrigues me, too. Uh, late in the year last year when, you know, the Penguins were going through a rough period. It was not uh, not a pretty end of the season. Uh, last game was great. Um, but multiple times, and you and I talked about this last year on the Ice Cash Report, um, that uh, Coach Lane said that he had – he needed to change of how he coached and um, – interacted with the kids nowadays because, and he said, uh, coaching these kids and interacting with these kids is a lot different than it were, say, seven to ten years ago, you know, and he said that he was working on that, and uh, he said he would, you know, he would pinpoint, you know, that, and any coach in any sport, you have to be able to relate to your players. You have to be able to relates them on the field, relates them off the field. And I think Tim Tyrrell would be a phenomenal person to do that. Because like you, like you touched on, Tim, everywhere he's been, he's been able to relate to the young men and have success. Not to say that Don Treadwell and Shane Montgomery couldn't, because they've proven they can. They've, they've proven that they're successful coaches, and they will continue to be successful coaches. Um, but I think um, that Tim Tyrrell would, would be a phenomenal choice um, if he is indeed the next head coach at Youngstown State. Well, I will say this, too. As you mentioned earlier, uh, the hope is that they'll have one name by Friday or Saturday. The latest. Yep. Uh, when you hear a name out there like, and Carol, and you know, and the situation is that you know he's the choice. What that tells mm-hmm. you is that they're in the process of negotiating, and yep. once that negotiation is completed, and all the eyes dotted and T's are crossed, and expectations are put, and knowing exactly what he's dealing with, 
that's when it will be done. And uh, if you hear all of a sudden that his name is out of consideration, it's because the negotiations broke down and it didn't work out. It's not because they fell in love with someone else. It's just these are the realities of it. Um, I really do expect Tim Terrell to be named head coach. And I think it's, like you said, I think it's a little out of the box, but it's not extremely. I think it is a very similar scenario. And I'm going to use this as a uh, as a can hear. In the nation, when Jim Trestle went from Youngstown State to Ohio yes. State, most of the nation reacted with, like, what? Yeah, Ooh, you're, and you're exactly now, right, Tim. They, this is the same scenario. It's going to be... Uh, here's a person who has a great credentials and that who's never made this type of a jump before, however, has the ability to be as successful going forward. And uh, I think it would be a good story going forward as a, uh, as a sports fan, and we'll see. Uh, I'm kind of rude for him, and, uh, but I will, uh, as you know, will support whoever uh, you know, mans the sideline uh, leading this team uh, into the future. Tim, that is a phenomenal point. That that right there is a great point. Um, I even go back. Um, Jim Trestle, like you mentioned, was not the top choice at Ohio State. Um, it was Glenn Mason, and Glenn Mason said no. That was the media's top choice. Yeah. That was the media's top choice. Jim Trestle was the top choice for Ohio State. That was a and misconception, I, yes. Matter of fact, everyone expected that. And then came the the one out of left field, in a sense, it was Jim Trussell. Uh, and I think you're right. That's why you do interviews. That's why yeah. you do interviews. That's why you have an open mind. That's why yep. you wait to see what develops. That's why you don't just hand the job to someone and say, hey, go run with it. You do and an I, open search, and you and do your due diligence on, each, uh, on everyone who – uh, makes an inquiry about becoming the head coach of your your program, and you're right. It it was it was viewed as a who this guy is going to jump from Youngstown State to Ohio State and try to go beat Michigan, you know, try to elevate Ohio State. I think you're completely right. And then even I'll say this, Tim, he was a popular choice. Uh, to be picked as YSU president, but he wasn't outside the box. He was not your typical, you know, come up to the academic ranks, you know, be in academics his whole life. He was a football coach and athletics director, and then he moved into the academic field at Akron after his coaching career was over, um, but that was an outside-the-box hire by the university, and that was a home run. Um this too, and I'm not saying it, that Tim Tyrrell is going to be a Jim Trestle type, you know, impact on the university. I'm just saying um, it is nice to be outside the box. It's nice to think outside the box. It's exciting. It's very exciting to try something new. Look, there's a lot of risk involved in this, but there's a lot of risk involved in any coaching search. We know that. Um, I will, no, you're right. Your, you, you're you're right. There's always risk involved, and we'll just have to wait and see. You know how it all turns out. You know by the end of the week. But 
uh, I think everybody's on the same board. They are, they're hoping that it is uh, Tim Carroll's job uh, to have, and hopefully yeah. he'll take it. And we'll see how the Penguins play in the future. And if it does happen, Anthony, I guess we'll have to have a, a special uh, Penguin report. Uh, yes, I was uh, thinking that uh, tonight that uh, we could be recording a special version of the Ice Cash Report uh, later this weekend or early next week. Let me say this real quick on this point, stopping to piggyback off what you said. No matter who gets the job, Tim Tyrrell, Don Treadwell, Shane Montgomery, another candidate that we're not even talking about, I will support them, and everybody should support them and give them a chance no matter what. This is our coach. This will be our coach. We All right, Anthony. Give whoever is the, the choice to give them a chance. All right, Anthony, let me do this for us. Uh, get you ready for baseball season here. Okay. Mookie Betts was traded to the Dodgers. Not a big surprise about the, te- the teams that were available. I guess the Minnesota Twins were involved in this trade also uh, to get certain players back. Uh, I'm Again, to see Betts uh, go from Boston to Los Angeles makes total sense to me. There's only certain markets that could do it. And quite honestly, there's only going to be certain markets that will be able to afford a Mookie Betts in two years when he becomes a free agent, kind of like uh, Francis Lindor. So, uh, you know, I thought it was a good, fair trade for both teams, and are, are all three teams involved. And I think they achieved what they wanted to achieve, and you're going to see more of this uh, type of thought process in baseball. And we've seen it here in Cleveland for many, many years. We just haven't seen it from the top-tier spending team saying we have to move player before uh, we lose and get nothing for them. Yeah, Tim, I, you're exactly right. This is um, this is going to become a growing trend in baseball that we're going to see. And we've seen it with the Pirates and with, with our Indians of making moves that aren't popular, but they're financially necessary. I think it's a home run uh, trade for the Dodgers. They needed a right-handed stick who could come and hit left-handed pitching. Last year they hit 181 last year against left-handed pitching. And Mookie Betts was the MVP two years ago. David Price has something to prove. He is not, you know, injuries and you know just uh, not a typical David Price year. I think getting out of the AL East into a completely different division and league will help David Price. Tim, I think you're right. It helps Boston. It helps them uh, get under luxury cap uh, so they don't have to pay the luxury tax. Minnesota in our division has more pitching in uh, Kenta Maeda, so I think that's a nice move for them. Uh, it strengthens their pitching staff. And Tim, I think you're completely right. It's something we're going to start seeing here in the future of um, trying to stay under that uh, luxury tax uh, threshold. Yeah, I mean, it's an artificial uh, salary cap at baseball, yes. and that's exactly what it is. Uh, you don't have to uh, abide by it, but you have to then pay the price for it. And, uh, you know, baseball is uh, like 50 days away. Yeah, it's uh, 50 days today exactly, the opening day. And uh, next week, Tim, spring training begins. And with that in it mind, is here. with that in mind, Anthony, uh, we're going to cut short here tonight. However, I'm going to add a little bonus to the podcast. So those who are listening right now, 
listen to the very end because we're going to have a little fun here. I'm going to add something that I came across um, not too long ago. Uh, as a baseball fan, uh, many years ago, you grow up, uh, many of us have had baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And over the years, baseball cards had different different styles in, uh, of presentation. Well, back in 1964, baseball had they had these cards that came out that were actually what's known as flexi discs that were also played on your record player or your your high five back in the day, and they had all the greats on it, uh, from Warren Bond to Whitey Ford to Don Drysdale, and so forth. So, well, I got some of those recordings. So I am going to add at the end of this one a one by Hall of Famer Mickey Mantle to get you ready for baseball as he talks about young players and how to become a switch hitter. And he also talks about taking care of your baseball glove. It's about four or five minutes long, match, maybe only three minutes long, but it is it's just amazing. So uh, to get your uh, baseball juices running, you're going to have to uh, – listen to the end of the podcast and they'll be coming up uh, very shortly here. Yeah, that's a lot of cool. It's, uh, Tim, it's, it's getting closer. It's like you meant 50 days from today, uh, the Indians, and we'll be playing the Detroit Tigers in game one of 162 at uh, Progressive Field. Um, it's amazing to think that baseball season is almost finally here. The long awaited winter, the longer winter than we're used to is almost over. All right, for Anthony and Canfield, I am Tim here in Borman. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Remember, if you get this anywhere, you have a rating or a review available, please give us a, a rating and review and let us know about it. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can check us out on our homepage, RadioMVP.com, and also on Facebook. Just do a search for Radio MVP Sports Podcast. You'll find us there and uh, we're on Twitter, we're on all your social medias. So uh, if you ever want to interact with us, feel free to look up both Anthony and I on social media and, of course, on our webpage, RadioMVP.com. So for Anthony and Tim, we'll talk to you next time, and stay tuned for a really cool interview with the late, great Hall of Famer, Mickey Mantle. I'm Marty Glickman, speaking for Sports Champions and talking with one of the greatest ball players of all time, Mickey Mantle of the New York Yankees. Mickey, did your dad help you in your days as a younger ball player? Marty, my dad always, uh, the only thing he ever lived for, he said, was to see me play Major League Baseball. So uh, all he would do is, uh, is live it. I mean, he, he'd come home from work at night and he wanted me to be a switch hitter. And he had his uh, father, who was a left-hander, and he and uh, his dad would come out and pitch to me. He'd pitch right-handed to me, and I'd hit left-handed against him. Then he would have my uh, grandfather, his dad, to pitch to me left-handed, and I'd hit right-handed. So he, uh, that's all he worked with. He just uh, kind of he thought that someday the uh, 
baseball would be a two platoon, a two platoon system like uh, in football. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, I can hit both ways, so uh, I got to play a lot more than I would have if I'd have been just one way hitter. Are you naturally a right hander or a left hander, Mickey? I'm naturally right handed. I think I have a little more power right handed. I think I have about 300 home runs out of my 420, though, are uh, are left-handed. So uh, you see, you you have a lot more right-handed hitter, uh, right-handed pitchers than you do uh, left-handed pitchers. So I get to hit left-handed about three times more than I do right-handed. I should guess many youngsters could seek to emulate that by just continuing to work at being a left-hander as well as a right-hander or vice versa if they're naturally left-handed. Well, it's I, a question of practice. I think that uh, that's true. I think anybody could uh, learn to be a switch hitter. Uh, I would start, though, when I was about, uh, before I'm 10 years old, though, to be uh, more of a natural switch hitter. Uh, I think that I have almost as much power left-handed as I do right-handed, but that comes from uh, years of practice. Like you said, you just got to really stick with it. Mickey, you've been known, of course, as one of the great hitters of all time. And perhaps too little attention is paid to the fact that you're one of the finest fielders in the game. For one, I'd like to ask you about taking care of some of your equipment. Your glove, for example. When you get a new glove, what do you do to put it in shape to play? Well, once you find a glove that you like, you try to hang on to it as long as you can. I remember when I first came to the Yankees, Phil Rizzuto had a glove that his fingers stuck out of, but he always used it. He would never warm up with it or... Uh, anything like that. He treated it like a gold watch or something. He'd take it and put it in his uh, uh, locker after the game and uh, leave it there till the next game. I've got one now that I've had refinished, uh, had the insides of it put back twice already. I've had it about five years. And I've tried about six or eight gloves. You always try to have one around in case something happens to that one that you can start right in using. And I've got one I've been breaking in for two years now, and uh, I think it's going to be a good glove, but it's still what we call not not ready yet, and uh, I've got I've still got the same old glove I've been using for the last five years in my in my locker in there, and I keep it locked up like I would a thousand dollar bill. But uh, I think it's uh, it's just you you learn to uh, your equipment just uh, is part of the game uh, as much as anything else. Like if you've got a pair of shoes on that don't feel good, uh, you can wear a blister on your foot and you're not at your best. You gotta. Everything has got to be just right, uh, like your glove and your. You, if I have a uniform, if I'm wearing a uniform that I think the pants are too big, it feels like the wind hits them. I know it probably doesn't, but it's on your mind, you know, and you're not at ease. So the, I think the biggest thing about uh, feeling is, is to really uh, feel like you have a, a, the best equipment, and then if, if anything happens, it's your own fault. It's not the glove or the shoes or the cap or the uniform it's your own fault and I think that's where you should look at it. Mickey you said you've been breaking a glove in for two years. What do you do during the course of this period of time to that glove? How do you break it in? See I don't use my game glove only in the game. When I'm working out before the game or in spring training I use this same the spare glove I have and by the time this other glove is gone this glove here will be kind of an old glove but it will still just be broken in. Mickey getting back to hitting as the pitcher begins to take his windup, what are you concentrating on? When I'm hitting, uh, I'm concentrating on the pitcher. I'm thinking about what he's got that day. And then I, when I'm sitting in the on-deck circle, I'm still watching him. And I'm thinking, uh, now, let's see, the last time he pitched to me, he had me 2-0, and he threw me a changeup. What did I do? Did I hit it? If I hit it, uh, and I can almost remember almost every pitch a pitcher threw to me the whole year. 
And uh, mostly it's just concentration and uh, remembering who the pitcher is and how he, w he should pitch to me. And then when I get ahead of him, I always, I always figure he's going to try to use his best pitch to my worst spot. And uh, sometimes they fool you, but it's not guessing. It's, it's more of a fact than anything else how they'll pitch you. What do you look at, Mickey, during the delivery? I just try to uh, keep my eyes uh, on the pitcher and uh, just follow the ball. He, no matter where, he, if he puts it behind him, I still just keep my eye on it. And then from the minute he turns it loose until you hit it, I've heard guys say that they see it hit the bat. Now, I don't try to say that I've ever seen the ball hit the bat. I think I keep my head down pretty good, but I don't, I'll tell you the truth. I'm so nervous whenever I hit the ball that I don't know if I see it hit the bat or not. <laughs> Mickey, it's always wonderful talking with you. The best of continued good luck. Thanks a lot, Marty.